Welcome to the Swine Health Black Belt Podcast, the latest swine health research digested for you. Swine Health Black Belt Podcast is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like Beringer Ingelheim through innovative solutions, cutting edge research, and world class experts. Beringer Ingelheim helps producers operate with complete confidence. Learn more at swineresource.com. SCA Ventilation and Management Solutions. Made for farmers by farmers since 1966. My name is Dr. Clayton Johnson. I'm your host for today's episode. And it's my pleasure to have joining me in the podcast studio today for today's episode, Dr. Onye Kuchuku Henry Osamake, a veterinarian and a master's degree holder who is currently pursuing graduate research at Iowa State University. Welcome to the podcast, Henry. Thank you so much, Clayton. I'm happy to be here. Uh, please, Henry, if you would, give, give our audience a, a little bit of background on yourself. Um, what is your education journey? What do you study currently at Iowa State? And what are your goals? Awesome. Thank you, Clayton. Um, like you said, my name is Onyeka Chuku Henry Osemeke. I'm from South South Nigeria. I got my DVM in 2014 from the Amitubelo University area. After which I worked about a year in a government clinic and then went to private practice for a while. In 2017, I joined the National Veterinary Research Institute in Nigeria. It's the only veterinary research institute in Nigeria where I worked for a few months in the biovaccine production unit. And then I was moved to research. In research, I was opportunity to do some on-field studies, in-lab studies with um, a couple of, of pathogens um, in collaboration with other countries and and with with uh, with some bodies. So I worked on FMD, on ASF, on PPR, a host of, of pathogens. In 2020, spring of 2020, I joined Dr. Daniel Inarsis lab as a as a graduate uh, student, as a grad student. Um, I got my master's last year, and I'm currently on my PhD. My PhD thesis focuses on improving uh, practical ways of improving surveillance in UNHP populations here in the U.S. That would be my that's my primary uh, research. That's where my thesis is centered on. And that's exactly Henry. What I wanted to chat with you about today is determining specifically PERS status of wean age pigs in our farms here in the United States. We have uh, PERS challenges. We have new PERS viruses who attack our industry all the time. Producers of all shapes and sizes are forced into PERS elimination situations. And we have to understand the status of the wean pig in order to know when the PERS elimination has been successful. We know the wean age pig is the last population on the farm to harbor the PERS virus, the last source of infection. So when that population is negative, we know it is safe to bring in gilts. We know it is safe to say the farm has eliminated the wild type PERS. Could you talk a little bit, Henry, about the, the sample types that are used to, to, to evaluate wean age pigs for PERS, and then your research on to maybe novel uh, sample types that we can use? Yeah, thank you, Clayton. Uh, like you mentioned, not only is that subpopulation really important in knowing the, the health status of the breeding herd, but oftentimes that same population is what moves out from that area to a different area. So that's really important, especially when we're talking about the spread, general epidemiology of, of PERS. Uh, the, our toolbox for surveillance in this population is really scanty. 
Mm -hmm. uh, the preferred sample type is the serum sample, as you already know. Um, the challenge with that sample type is it's impractical to frequently monitor with the sample type, especially at low prevalence. And that's why um, the work of Almeida and Marcel Almeida was to validate farmed oral fluids. He showed that this is a really cost-efficient option, right? So we're trying to address basically my with these sample types. Um, my my research is is um, focused on trying to see how do we address some of these problems with using sample types. One of the one of the problems is, is cost. You know, even though for uh, farmed oral fluid samples are cost efficient, when herds have low prevalence of purse and they need to sample so many especially large herds that have so many rooms and very large uh, uh, number of liters it's quite cost prohibitive to test each of those liters singly right and then that's why one of the uh, at least the last publication we had from our team was centered on investigating pooling right how is that going to save cost to uh, to, the, to the producer right and I'm also, the team is also moving towards trying to validate other sample types, right? So if you don't want to use for, uh, how do you use oral swabs, nasal swabs, what are the sample sizes you're going to use? So that's one of the projects I'm currently on, uh, trying to see how to introduce more sample options into the uh, pair surveillance toolbox for winning HPAs. Very good. Um, okay. the, the population based samples, Henry, have taken off yeah. over the last five to 10 years, starting with uh, Jeff Zimmerman and uh, Dr. Prickett's work on, on oral fluids, not family oral fluids, but oral fluids. And then your lab and, and others work on the processing fluids. What are our population based sample options for the wean age pigs? Those, those samples that are maybe a little easier to collect or at least less time consuming to collect and give us um, one PCR across a broader population than we can do by the traditional individual animal serum sampling. Okay. Um, so we have uh, the aggregate sample types or the population based sample types for sample type for wean age pigs, at least. The, the sample type that is validated um, to the best of my knowledge is the family oral fluid. Mm -hmm. And that's, collect, um, that's collected at the level of the liter, right? So you have one of those samples for each liter. That's, I think, would be the only uh, population-based sample type for that age group. The processing fluids have been shown to be really uh, at least head sensitive, you know, Aside the fact that it does not require labor, has so many advantages, but it does not represent the status of that uh, um, subpopulation, the winning age pigs, yep. right? Uh, and we've seen from studies uh, before, some studies that have already been published, that for a herd, the, um, the, the RT-PCR results for the processing age pigs do not always match that of the, the winning age pigs, right? Mm -hmm. So it's very important that we actually check that population, but we do not have, to the best of my knowledge, it's just a family oral fluid that's, that's the aggregate sample type used for, for any HPAs. What does the family yeah. part of the term mean, Henry? It's family oral fluids, and it's collected at the litter level, but does family yeah. imply that the sow contributes to the sample as well? Exactly, that's, that's what it means. The sow contributes. Uh, the first set of of uh, trials that um, Dr. Almeida did 
And he did that in collaboration with Dr. Zimmerman. And he's trying to see, is there a way to get just from the litters, right? Just tie the rope in a place that the sow would not have access to this rope and see what uh, the interaction of the rope, what the interaction would be with the litter. And they saw that it's, it's more efficient if you allow the sow also interact with the rope because then the, the piglets see that the sow is interacting with the rope and then go ahead to interact with the rope too, right? Uh, so that's the concept of the family. The sow is involved in the, in the chewing of the rope. Very yeah. good. And yeah. how, is, uh, how is the sample collection for the family oral fluids different from a regular oral fluid? Um, are there challenges with getting the piglets to contribute to the, the sample? And if so, what are your recommendations for producers uh, and veterinarians on how to, how to practically collect those samples? Yes. One challenge generally with oral fluids is you need the pigs to voluntarily interact with these ropes, right? So you want to tie the ropes or get the ropes there at a point where um, there is an increased likelihood that the pigs are going to interact with this rope. And from the studies um, Almeida has done and also other members of the group, we see that it's important that you go as, as early as possible before the pigs have had uh, feel of, of feed for the early part of the day. Um, that's one of the one really, really important consideration. Then um, from the practical aspects, I see an increased success if you use only one of the, the, the strands of the, because most of the, the, the cutting rope we use most times come in, in a cord of three pieces, mm -hmm. right? There's, quite, there's increased success if you unravel one of them and tie it there. Um, from my experience, I see that if you leave the three-piece cord there, and even after interaction with with the with the sow and, and the piglets, you may have all the oral fluid soaked within the rope, and it may be difficult to to get that out. Right? You yeah. have to remember that with family oral fluids, you have fewer pigs interacting with the rope. It's just a sow and the members of her, of her, her litter that are interested in interacting with the rope, as opposed to the oral fluid where there's there's uh, at least it depends. Growing sites where there is almost a form of mania with the, with the pigs rushing towards the, the ropes. So that said, I think in summary, go as early as possible, use one cord, you know, and tie it at a, at a point where the smallest um, piglet in that, uh, in that leader would have access to the rope. So about the shoulder height of the smallest piglet um, there. I think there is actually a published guideline by Dr. Almeida. I think it's a very long line. Uh, I think it uh, clearly stipulates some of the the uh, the points I'm, I'm mentioning now. So strategy is everything. Yeah. Yeah, and I know from my conversations with Dr. Almeida, um, hanging the ropes can be too short of a time or too long of a time. Um, if you yeah. hang the ropes in the morning and come back in the afternoon, the pigs may have played with the ropes in the morning, but especially on a day like today where it's very hot and there's going yeah. to be a lot of pigs taking a nap throughout the day in the farrowing house. You know, you come back in the afternoon, that rope could be completely dry by that point. So um, I think, you know, sure. targeting like a one hour time frame to allow the pigs to chew, but then come back to get that rope at kind of the peak of its level of moisture and saturation will help a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Henry, that's true. Um, 
you guys have ongoing work, I know, with family oral fluids, and hopefully that can help us to dial in a, a guideline, so to say, um, what parity, uh, how many litters, those sorts of things. Will you have a, a publication coming out in the future that can help to get us to a more standard recommendation on the family oral fluids for pigs at weaning to understand status? Yes, I think for at least for the few points you've mentioned, there are already published literature. Uh, Almeida demonstrated that the there is an increased uh, likelihood of detecting PERS if you sampled oral fluids from family oral fluids from priority one sows, that is gill liters, right? He demonstrated that uh, he showed that there is uh, there are higher odds in getting those. Uh, he also showed uh, in that same publication he. Uh, the the odds for detecting pairs were higher for for litters that had fewer pigs, right? That's I think that's available. I think that was on preventive veterinary medicine. Uh, what I did was to investigate pooling, right? Pooling as an option. Mm. So you have X number of of uh, you've done a calculation and you know that okay you have to sample about fifty grades, and your testing budget does not meet that. What happens when you pool? Right, we already know that one of the biggest fears with pooling is the, that the positive sample is going to be diluted, and then at least beyond the the sensitivity of the of the um, PCR. So we try to calculate what happens if you have uh, if you dilute to one to three, in which case you have one part positive and two part negative. We did that up to one to twenty and show should, should what happen, and then we try to come up with uh, practical sample sizes with this in mind. And that publication is already out. It's in the it's in the preventive veterinary medicine. I think it came out last month. It's peer reviewed, uh, and we've also gone further. In we have used those simulations, those calculations, and put that up on the field epi website, the Iowa State University field epi website, where you can go there. You can uh, put in the number of 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 uh, liters in your room, the number of crates you want to sample from. You assume prevalence. Uh, how many crates you think should be positive, and then how, at what pooling level do you want to get those samples, and how many samples you want to collect. So, for example, uh, for example, in a room that has fifty crates, uh, do you want to sample just five pools of three? If that's your decision, this is the probability to, to detect. Are you comfortable with that? You know, so it gives you the probability and helps you with a sampling decision. That's already published. The the work we have, and that's sorry, that's already available on the on the field EP website. The next layer of work we're trying to do is to populate that field, um, that sample size calculation uh, sites with more tabs where producers can go there and see what happens if you want to use nasal swabs, what happens if you want to use oral swabs, what happens if you want to use yeah, ear vein blood swabs, all your sample options, uh, how many should you should collect based on the assumptions, uh, the epidemiological assumptions. Are you okay with the 90% confidence? For, for detecting what's what error what error level are you comfortable with what do you think is your current prevalence so those will be put there and the the aim or the goal is to help swine practitioners be able to at least understand uh, the probability of, de of detecting based on their, their their choices and you know maybe you go up there you wanted to calculate for family reference and then you decide oh no i want to use some, another sample option based on what i have based on time i have and based on the probability to to detect so have everything there and uh, make a decision. So that's where that's where I am now. Where the team is now. 
Yeah. One of the things I really appreciate about your work and, and all of your colleagues at, at Iowa State University is you appreciate the economic approach. Um, farms are, are businesses, right? And, and businesses yeah. have to monitor their costs. And, and you not only look at it from the scientific standpoint of what is the best way to get the right answer, but also, you know, the pooling, right? You think practically yeah. these producers are working within a budget and you're always balancing the cost of the testing with the sensitivity. And with, I always tell people, if you give me an unlimited budget, I'll be an amazing veterinarian, but that's not practical, <laughs> right? That's not, that's True. not the real world. And I appreciate yeah. you guys going to that next step to not just define the science behind what is the sample strategy, but then try to optimize it economically for producers as well. True. Henry, thank you very much for coming on. Um, and, and thank you to everybody else for listening to the Swine Health Black Belt podcast. Please, if you have not, uh, go visit us at swinehealthblackbelt.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Henry, I hope you're signed up and subscribing and listening every week so that yeah. you don't miss out on our next episode here. Um, for uh, Onye Kuchuku Henry Osameke, I am Clayton Johnson. Thanks very much for joining us. And have a great rest of your week. Hey, everyone. We're always searching for the latest and greatest research to share each week. If you have a swine health-related research trial and would like to come on the show to talk about it with me and share it with our audience, feel free to send an email to healthblackbelt at swineit.com, and we would love to take a look at your research.